0: everybody. This is Tap In, Geek Out. This is Carl Lundeen, and I've taken over your broadcast tonight. Joining me, as always, is Doug Lund and Eric G. Hollis. Boys, how's it going?
1: Pretty good, Carl. That was a really good intro compared to the other ones I've heard today.
0: Okay, everybody. So this is our redemption episode. We're back to talk about Comic-Con. Uh, last year, we did the stepped-on annual, and we had great expectations for what was going to happen with the DC Universe. Uh, This year, Comic-Con, for all intents and purposes, was a DC Expo. Apparently, the uh, Stark Expo was the same weekend, and Marvel decided not to show up. Uh, Unfortunately, we're not exactly excited about what we've seen from our good friends over at DC Comics. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about a couple of the different trailers that we saw this season. We're going to talk about the digital streaming service the DC is about to take a giant shit with. And then we're going to turn it over to Eric and Doug to talk about the Godzilla movie because I fucking hate monster movies. Really? Oh God. I fucking hate them, dude. Fucking hate them. I think they're stupid. So that's a whole, that's a whole nother box of crazy to unpack later. Uh, But I guess the first thing I want to say is that none of us were particularly excited about what we saw at uh comic-con as far as the dc universe is that is that something we collectively agree on i do i'm gonna disagree really okay so this this should be good we'll we'll get a little bit of back and forth on this thing um our our big three tentpole things that they gave us were aquaman the launch of the dc streaming service and of course the shazam trailer um we've got some stuff to talk about on each one of these three fronts but which one do you guys want to talk about first
2: I say we start with Aquaman because I I think that's the one that we're going to find out more about sooner. Uh, That movie drops in December, so we're, what, five months out now?
0: Right. December 19th, I think. 21st. Oh, is it? Okay. All right. Good. 21st.
2: That's okay. That's what editing is for.
0: (laughs) That's what editing is for. That's correct. Okay.
2: And that just added a week to our release time. (laughs)
0: Leave it in. Fuck it. Can't be any worse than the edits on the DC movies.
2: I'm going to talk about the fucking elephant in the room and then uh, we're not going to talk about it anymore. Carl and Eric and I recorded a fantastic episode. I think this was back in February. In fact, I know it was because that was back when uh, both Black Panther and Black Lightning were at the the forefront of comic lovers' minds and uh, eyes. And uh, we ended up with about two hours of great material. And it has yet to see the light of day. That blame rests entirely on my shoulder I can guarantee that at some point that episode will be published, but uh, I don't want to fucking hear about it anymore.
0: <laughs> I would say it's going to be a miracle if we ever see it. Oh, I see what you did there. Yeah. See, so for everybody that's listening at home, the deal is that I put a shitload of effort into going back and doing some research and like really putting these pieces together. I hope it shows. And I hope that's why Eric and, De- and Doug keep asking me at back, but I put like, I would say like 12 hours worth of the research into doing this whole thing on this comic book. Mr. Miracle I was super proud of it. They liked where it was going. They liked the content there. And then it just fucking hit the editing room floor in February and never made it. So,
2: well, that's uh, a bit of an oversimplification, but okay. uh, I will say, Eric and I were talking earlier this week. We thought, let's go ahead and do a, a Comic-Con episode because there is a lot to talk about there. And, Absolutely. And of course, you know, the, the very natural conclusion that we came to is, well, we got to get Carl on because if we can't pick his comic brain and uh, the depth of, of knowledge, which will expose our listeners
0: yet again to today, then uh, we'd be remiss. Wow, Doug. It actually feels like you're under the table with me right now. <laughs> <laughs> and dreaming. <laughs> so, hey, what are you guys drinking tonight? Ew,
1: that's a good question.
2: I'll start since I'm holding mine. Uh, this is a, a really interesting beer. I've never had one like this before. I don't even know if a beer like this has ever been made before. It's called Sam 76. And like you can probably guess from the name, it's a Samuel Adams brew. It is a 4.7 ABV and a 12 IBU. And I promise you that those are the lowest ratings on both sides of that scale for a beer that I've ever done on this podcast. I wanted to try it because it claims to be a lager ale blend. And I know I've never had one of those. And for those of you who are beer savvy, you know that uh, ales and lagers, uh, those are really like the two types of beer. Every type of beer is either a lager or an ale. That's how they start. And It's how it's created during the brewing process. So I'm not sure how this was done, whether they brewed two things separately and brought them together or they uh, somehow figured out how to run both brewing processes simultaneously. This is a delicious beer. It's one of those, I I think it leans more on the lager side because it's got that nice, crisp uh, drinkability that you want in the summertime. Uh, Not really heavy on the alcohol, but even though it's only in a 12 IPU, I really get the hop uh, essence that that I like. I'm going to go right out of the gate here and give this one like a a 4.25.
1: Pretty bold there. Not only, uh, I think, first uh, Sam Adams beer we've ever done on the cast? Maybe. I'm not sure. We've done so many now that it's, I'm starting to lose track. Sorry, not Sam Adams. Boston Brewing Company is their official name. I should know I own stock uh, that I bought a long time ago. They were very popular brewery when I was in college. They were one of the first beers that you could get that wasn't Budweiser and Coors. It's good to hear that that beer is good. And I hear that that recipe, the 76 recipe, supposedly is an old recipe. Does it say anything about that on the can?
2: You know, it it might, but everything is written in this like old-timey script, so I I can't even (laughs) really tell what it's saying. Can you?
0: (laughs) No. Pursuit of happiness? I think that's actually Samuel L. Jackson beer.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It'll get you drunk. That was terrible.
0: (laughs) That was really bad. We're going to gloss right (laughs) over that.
2: Eric, what the fuck are you drinking tonight?
1: I am drinking. Um, I've never had this brewery before. I figured they were from Colorado. It, I should learn to read because there's a little, little thing that says Tampa here. But Cigar City ha! Brewing.
2: Cigar City.
1: Cigar City Brewing. Never heard of them before, but I picked up their Guayabera Citra Pale Ale. I'm a big fan of the Upslope Citra Pale Ale that uh, is from Colorado. It's a great beer. This is okay. It's a 5.5. I didn't like the first sip of it, but uh, I liked it as I finished it. Will I pick this up again? Probably not. Solid 3.75 for me for flavor. Will I get another Cigar City Brewing beer? I don't know. The Tampa turns me off. Is that bad? Am I biased because I think Tampa is just a city full of douchebags? Yes. It didn't make you wrong, but it does make you biased. Well, then I I guess I I am biased against Tampa. My sister lived there for a year. I went out and partied in the Tampa scene one night and I was very disappointed with just, you know, in general. I thought it was a city full of douches. So sorry, Tampa. You've got pretty decent beer, but I'm not a fan of your town. (laughs) Carl, what the fuck
0: are you drinking? I'm drinking a summer beer, which is uh, kind of a departure for me. You guys are used to me sticking to the, the harder stuff like a bourbon. Um, but when the summer rolls around, I, I like to lighten things up a little bit. And, and my summer beer is, is probably not quite as exotic as anything that you guys drink. This is, um, this is straight out of Manhattan, Kansas, in that we used to party at this bar called Rock Belly Deli. And Rock Belly made these summer beers that were um, a shot of vodka, <clears throat> lemonade, and then you finish it with a beer and then you pour it all over ice. And um, they're absolutely delicious. And we would sit at that bar all summer long, drink those things till about one o'clock in the morning. And we were all lifeguards. So one of us always had a key to the swimming pool. So once all the guards were good and drunk, we would go break into the city pool and swim. So that's just always been my summertime alternative to bourbon. Um, Love them. And so since I made it, I give it a five because it's fucking tits. So there you go. Sounds like a good drink and a good story to go along with it.
2: You, you know who else swims in swimming pools? That Aquaman.
0: <laughs> nice.
2: Nice. I am impressed. I may be a little rusty on my transitions.
1: That might be the best one you've ever done. That might be the best one you've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> so let me, uh, let, me, let me ask you, Carl, out of the gate. As soon as I watched the Aquaman trailer today, I saw where they were going with the origin and Aquaman's getting bullied at an aquarium, of course, and a shark rushes towards the side of the glass. Now, I only know Aquaman from barely in the comics, the shitty video game and uh, the Justice League series from the 70s is Aquaman's origin. Was he a human like the rest of us and then realized he was Aquaman? Is that how it worked?
0: When I watched the trailer, the first thing that I started thinking about is that as much as I love this medium, I'm wondering if we're all starting to get a little bit of superhero fatigue. And and here's the reason I say this. When you think about the classic superhero myth, you know, the, the idea of really moving above even superhero genre, that there's what, Doug, seven stories, right? There's only seven original stories, right? I think that's right. That's right. Right. And some people argue there's as few as three. So... When you get to a point where we have as much um, saturation into the myth story, the myth hero stories we have right now, it becomes impossible to not see this same theme recurring over and over again. So like when you watch the Aquaman trailer, the first thing that struck me was it's it thematically felt no different than the Man of Steel trailer. In a lot of ways, right? Because you have the myth of the man that is not from this world, that's out of step with where he is, that he's something special that's beyond, but it, but it's a mystery to him what that thing is. His childhood is shrouded in mystery. There's all these uh, events that take place in his childhood where he's bullied by somebody because they think he's weird and different, and then something accidentally extraordinary happens. You know, like you think about in Man of Steel, the the uh, bus goes off the bridge. When uh, Pete Ross is is picking on him, and there you go, the kids are picking on him in the uh, the aquarium. It's the exact same components. So the first thing I think is that you, you we need to recognize that there's probably a little bit of superhero fatigue that's going on, and that's true for everybody, even those of us that are diehard fans, because the myth story is identical hero to hero as you start these different origin stories. So. That's kind of step one in answering your question. You know, step two in answering your question is really more of a deep dive into Aquaman's background. I see what you did there. Yeah. The story on this is that his father was a lighthouse keeper. Right, which is which is just genius. It's it's got such a romantic quality to it, right? And that one night he rescues this woman that's found, you know, in the surf, whatever, and and nurses the woman back to health and falls in love with her. And it turns out that this woman is in fact the exiled queen of Atlantis. And so she stays with him for a period of time and they have a child together. And the child of obviously is Arthur Curry, who eventually becomes Aquaman. And then depending upon what canon or what time period you're hearing this story and there's different reasons that explain why the mother is eventually gone but eventually she's gone so he's left kind of in the same circumstances as Kalel, that you know there's something different there's something special about me I don't know what it is nobody's being straight with me telling me what's going on and so I'm the outsider with a chip on my shoulder because something's off and I know nobody's telling me what's actually happening here.
2: I like that you did the Aquaman origin story in, uh, you know, like roughly two and a half minutes. And I'm hoping that uh, DC
0: follows suit there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think so. My chief concern with this movie. Trailer. Is the chief concern. No. Well, okay, fine. Sure. Trailer. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt. My chief concern with this movie is my chief concern that I've always had with reading Aquaman as a comic book. And so let me let me make this dissection here. OK, Aquaman as a supporting character in a Justice League story or something like that, it always works. And the reason that it always works is because nine times out of 10, they're not in the water. You know, he's just a badass that's doing shit on land or in space like everybody else is. Right. Uh, the water stories work when you need to do kind of a solo mission for him or whatever. And that's okay. But when you do the Aquaman book where every single month we're telling an Aquaman story, there's some stuff that is practically never addressed. That is, is visually distracting. And I was hoping that the people making this movie would have the insight to correct or deal with that stuff as they chose the direction for telling the story. And the first of which is like, why do you have things like blankets and chairs and shit like that in a sunken city? And they, you know what I mean? Like that sounds crazy, but seriously, like, like if you read the comic book, there'll be like a some B cut scene where Mira, his girlfriend slash wife slash queen, whatever is brushing her hair underwater. I'm going to warn everybody. I'm
2: absolutely going to be playing devil's advocate today. I didn't see any blankets or chairs necessarily in this trailer. Now, I, I and and I... You didn't see any bubbles when they were speaking either. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Why do you need bubbles to, to speak? I mean, if, if you're underwater, you're clearly, you're
0: not using lungs. So does everybody just lip read? Is that the thing? They're all just lip reading.
2: You would presume since they can breathe underwater that they have some mechanism for producing sound underwater. You know, like all the other aqua life does.
0: Or why wouldn't they just communicate telepathically like he does with all the other goddamn fish? I get it it's hard to make a movie that way but look here's here's my point and I and I and I get it you know we're kind of joking and kicking this shit around but the point is that this nerd conversation that you and that the three of us are having right now is a very serious nerd conversation that should have taken place amongst the directors and the producers that wanted to bring this film in the first place to figure out how you were going to tackle these basic problems and it didn't take place and so it looks stupid and I feel bad saying that because I really want this movie to be good. And I I, I want to come back in December and eat my words on this one. But I just I can't reconcile the fact that they did not take the basic steps that were necessary to deal with some of these problems like people's mouths moving and you hearing audio and there's no bubbles and no clear explanation for why we're either hearing you or why your mouth needs to articulate for your telepathy to work right.
2: Here would be my counter argument to that. You've seen Dr. Strange, right? Sure. We can talk about a lot of elements in that film, but I'm going to zero in on one at one point. Strange ends up in the middle of fucking space when he's doing his uh, showdown with Dormammu. I think I said that right. That motherfucker ain't got a spacesuit, and uh, he still didn't seem to lack for oxygen. And uh, you could still hear him talking and none of that shit should have worked in
0: the vacuum of space, but Did you have a problem with that? No. And you, and you bring up an interesting point. So one of the things about um, the Aquaman book that is, is, is explored fairly significantly in the book, but is not really explored outside of that within the larger context of like the justice league and that kind of thing is that there is a lot of magic that's, that's built into the history of Atlantis. And, you know, to your point, Doug, and, and and to mine, I hope to be disappointed or I hope to be wrong. You know, maybe we get like a really good magic explanation that puts all of this in context to where, you know, even though we're underwater, this thing is still going to work where you can sit in a chair and we can talk to each other and all the rest of this.
2: My point is, is that you're either willing to give the movie a shot or you're predisposed to hate it. And by the things that that you're saying, I think you fall into the, the latter crowd. I mean... I loved Wonder Woman, but yeah. there was definitely a part of my brain when she was, uh, what, what was the name of that scene? Um, no No Man's Land, I think it was, where she was crossing the battlefield. And it's right. like, how how all the bullets going towards her wrists and not towards yeah. like her ankles or, or her eyeballs? And But you uh, get
0: one of those. We'll give you one of those in the movie,
2: but the whole movie can't be that. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, Wonder Woman is a Greek goddess, right? And that's deep mythology that that is so far it's so distant from the the really kind of practical mcu type approach to like you know we're going to try and ground this as much as we can in reality but the end of the day you still just have to fucking accept that these are based on comic books and you have to suspend disbelief in order to to really enjoy them i i think this you're right trailer is getting uh, a lot of shit and i think it's for the wrong reasons i think there is shit to be given. But uh, ultimately, I think my position on on this one right now is we know exactly what we're getting with this iteration of Aquaman. It's not the comic book Aquaman by any stretch of the imagination. He doesn't look like him. He doesn't talk like him. Right. And you're right. He is a supporting character, but uh, DC, for some reason, decided to do a a standalone Aquaman film before Flash, which I think was a, a very bad decision because I think that character is so much more charismatic and there's so much more story that you can tell there. But since they're doing it, they're obviously trying to have some fun with it, right? That, that was the sure. first thing that I noticed out of the gate, um, and it's because we haven't talked about Shazam yet. Is it was the first film that I'd seen in a long time that looked like it really wanted to have fun in the, in the DC Entertainment universe.
1: And sticking to the comic books, I thought Black Manta was spot on. Oh, Costume, yeah, everything. That's the yeah. one thing. I, he's one of my favorite villains. I did like that part of the trailer. I, I thought they did well with Black Manta. And again, we can debate this all we want, guys. They already have all of our money. Oh, totally. So they, right.
0: Right. They don't they don't care about us. And and here's the thing, you know, I think one thing that I want to want to note in terms of my criticism of all this is that there I think there's a larger theme that's at work here with with respect to me anyways, is that you guys know me, man, I, I bleed DC Comics. So if I'm the one that's going, oh, come on, guys that, that to me feels like it bears a little bit more weight because I'm, I'm always willing to go to bat for these guys. Cause at the end of the day, I think that their stable of characters and their stable of villains are, are just better. I think they're fundamentally better. So my, my beef with this is not that I think it's stupid. My beef is there are clear problems that I think are, are not addressed that you would have gained so much credibility out of the shoots if you could have addressed those things up front. And the answer to me, like was really simple with Atlantis, right? When you're in Atlantis, it's pressurized. That's it. You know, it's, it's atmospherically pressurized and then you can have people walking around and talking and doing all the shit that they need to do. Uh, and and we don't have to have these stupid fucking debates about floating telepathy conversations. You know, you just solve that problem out of the shoots. Um, But that's but that's just me. What did you guys think about Atlantis, by the way? I just wanted to, you know, we got like three or four seconds of it. Did you guys like what you saw? Did you think it looked good CGI wise, whatever?
1: It's all CGI to me. I've only seen the trailer once, to be fair, so I didn't
0: really catch it. Uh, Did you think it looked crappy? I, I had a bit of a Phantom Menace flashback. I thought the same thing. You so no think you better than the Gungans. Me so like this. <laughs> I didn't go
2: that far. <laughs> Sometimes it's a mistake to do that wide sweeping shot. Sometimes you're better served with like just getting into it and, and going with the visuals of, of like the close up.
1: Look at Deadpool two, very small movie, huge impact. Right, right. That movie is like set in the X mansion outside of the X mansion. <laughs> There's, there wasn't even a big highway sequence in Deadpool 2. They took that to the minimum, and I thought it was to great effect. I, Aquaman's a hard flick to do, guys. They've been trying I to get agree. this shit off the ground for, what, like seven, eight years? Yeah. I want to say when I moved to Colorado, there was a different director on Aquaman and a different script and a different actor. This isn't an easy flick to do. Should you have done Flash first? Yes. But they went with Aquaman. And I think Momoa will sell tickets. I don't think it's going to bomb. But... Am I really excited about it? No.
2: And ultimately, I think it's going to suffer from exactly what Carl articulated was the superhero fatigue. And I don't know that it's necessarily with the genre. Well, let me couch that. I don't necessarily think the problem is with the stable of characters because Deadpool is a great example of the Deadpool sequel. You can do a great movie that's uh, breaking down uh, the barriers of, of what a comic book movie should be and and make it something completely different and right. I, I don't think we're going to get anything groundbreaking in aquaman and i think that's ultimately what's going to lead it to be you know kind of middling and and uh, nowhere near as as successful as it came but we're going to get an origin story we're going to get the the outcast who has to you know somehow reconcile the fact that he's the king of atlantis and then a, a showdown with a big baddie and um if it's anything different than that i will be shocked and pleasantly surprised
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's classic Arthurian legend stuff, you know, (laughs) it's just sword in the stone underwater, you know, and, and, and again, you know, I, I hope I'm wrong. I really do because I I have such a fondness for the stable of characters, but it's just that it doesn't, it doesn't look that it's bringing anything new. I mean, I, I would have loved to have seen something that was more like, you know, could you, could like a movie like the abyss, you know, the abyss with Aquaman is the guy that's got to swim down and fucking stop the nuclear device from exploding. You know, that that to me, like if you could have done the abyss with Aquaman as the hero that solves the problem, I mean, that's, that's a great Aquaman movie.
2: I think you're absolutely right. And I think if DC felt that they had earned the leeway at this point to start stretching those boundaries, that that might have been something that they were more inclined to do. Marvel has absolutely done that. That's why we get movies like Ant-Man. You know, because they they realize that they can, uh, they've earned their moviegoers respect. They have the credibility with the fans, and like now, let's try some some different shit. DC is is nowhere near that point, and uh, that that's unfortunate because uh, their their movies are going to continue to to suffer from the uh, you know the tropes that they're going to have to continue to follow.
1: Who's the cameo? What DC cameo did we get in Aquaman? Because you know there's going to be one. Superman, Batman. I got to go with Wonder
2: Woman just because that's uh, her movie actually was good. Yeah. I mean, she's <laughs> carrying the franchise right now. So if, if you're going to throw agree. one of them in there, it, it's got to be her,
1: right? Or do we get someone out of the blue or does DC have some balls and introduce a new character? Maybe we get Green Lantern, who we, has been teased in Justice
0: League. I'm going with Wendy, Marvin and Dinomutt.
1: <laughs> Fuck yeah. I can't I can't pick a better one than that. See, Green Lantern, I should have waited for you to talk, Eric, because that would have been the perfect segue into the Shazam trailer. Before I let you guys completely blow me away with your comic book intellectualism, I just want to say the suit looks fucking terrible. It looks fucking terrible. I'm sorry. It looks it looks worse than the Green Lantern suit only because I know what Zachary Levi looks like in real life. I know I know what size he is. I know what size a normal person that lifts weights is.
0: And it just it looks bad. I said, let's reboot Kazam, not Shazam.
1: (laughs) We can talk about the other Shaq reboot we just got. But no, I mean, what do you guys think about the suit?
0: It looks terrible, doesn't it? I think the funniest thing about the suit is that if you go back and you look at any of the still frames from when John Wesley Shipp played The Flash in 1992, the suit has that same look and feel as Shipp's suit did when he was on The Flash for two years. I mean, it's it. It just looks. I mean, and don't get me wrong. You know, I think I think uh, you know Zachary Levi put on some beef to play this part. I, for my money, I would have rather they let him play it a little scrawnier,
1: especially with the vibe. The, the trailer had a very greatest American hero vibe like, hey, I don't know what the fuck I can do. Why are you making him gigantic like that? It would have been so much better if it was just Levi and maybe a little bit buffed up. I'm not saying you can't buff him up a little bit, but not what they have now. I mean, it looks comical. It looks like fucking Stretch Armstrong.
0: Yeah, and I think you hit the nail on the head. It's one of the things I had in my notes for the episode is this is like big meets the greatest American hero. And Look, as much as I just pounded uh, Aquaman into paste, I'm going to hang my hopes on the idea that I, I really like Zachary Levi. And so, so actually, let me rephrase what I said a moment ago. To me, this is um, big meets greatest American hero meets Chuck. And make no mistake, the biggest reason he got this part is because he proved that he could play the dope that was a superhero doing Chuck. And 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 I and I recognize that. And so I'm like, and I and I like Chuck. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a fun, lighthearted show, and it was it was good, good entertainment. So um for my money, I really hope that he can successfully pull off doing Chuck in Tights, basically. Cause because I love that show and I think it's a great concept, you know? I guess
1: I watched the trailer after Aquaman and I was like, oh, another bullying story, except this time the guy gets <laughs> beat with a crutch.
2: There on my first viewing was really nothing nice that I could say about it. And then I watched it again and I, I think I started to appreciate it a little bit more. Again, I'm, I may be in devil's advocate mode and uh, I may be just uh, feeling really generous. But again, I think DC, this is their step towards, you know what, we're, we're going to make a conscious effort to step out of this gloomy universe that we've created and do something new. Uh, on the screen that that uh, we haven't seen from DC in, in quite some time. Does the suit look ridiculous? Of course it does. Um, is that by design? Can it be any other way? There's no way that all of the people that were involved in the production and the, the costume design looked at that and said like, oh my
0: God, that's fucking awesome. I can live with the foam rubber suit, but I do think that... Um, I have a, I have a challenge for tap in geek out that we need to try to get like some kind of a write in petition going to see if we can go back and have the CGI removed for the light, bright, um, chess piece, because I can live with everything else about the suit other than the light, bright chess piece. Uh, if we could get that taken away, I could live with it. Here's the conclusion that I came to ultimately.
2: And if this is how it plays out in the movie, then, then you can chalk one up for Doug
0: how old is Billy Batson? It depends canon wise. If you're talking about this movie, he looks to be about sixteen, I would guess. He's really supposed to be about nine or ten um, in the in the traditional comic book version.
2: I thought he looked maybe a couple of years younger, but put yourself in that headspace. You're a kid that uh, is gifted with all of these powers. And maybe the suit and his look is a manifestation of that youth. Like he decides what he looks like when he takes that form consciously or, or subconsciously. And if you think about what a kid thinks a superhero looks like, that's what he's trying to do. And that's the best that he can do. And then maybe if he had another 10 years on him, that he would look a little smoother and a little less bulky and uh, it wouldn't glow so bright. But uh, this really looks like what a kid's idea of what a superhero should look like.
0: And I'll tell you what, man, you know, you in 90 seconds just fixed it, you know, it's kind of a, a divergence from this topic area. I'm big on this idea that they need to develop this council of nerd at DC where they grab a couple of like minds like ours that like they turn out a pile of turd like that. And then we can give them 90 seconds of dialogue here and there and here and there that basically fix whatever it is that they've broken and uh I have I have some ideas in some other areas like we joked about that whole thing with Ant-Man the other night that I said the guy could have been a trillionaire by, you know, just shrinking trash instead, right? And and you basically fixed Shazam in doing that. Like now we've justified this being a silly costume. Now we've justified the light bright chest. That's genius. I just hope that you're not the only person that fucking thought of that. <laughs> Me too. E? Yeah. So, so I, one of the things that I wanted to talk about, and I know Eric, you were interested in this because this is not a topic that you guys know that much about is, you know, for as much as we've kind of talked around this Shazam subject, the truth of the matter is um, most people really don't know that much about this character and, and you guys being, you know, card carrying members of the nerd club are not that familiar with Shazam either. Is that, is that correct? I know that Shazam is also
1: Captain Marvel. But we have a Captain Marvel in the Marvel Universe or Miss Marvel, Captain Marvel, whatever you want to call her. I have no idea how that all worked out, though,
0: because Captain Marvel in the Marvel Universe also used to be a dude, correct? Yes, there was a point where Captain Marvel was a guy in the in the early 70s in the Marvel Universe, right? Yeah.
1: Marvel. But didn't Shazam
0: exist at that point in the DC Universe? Ah, uh, it's interesting you asked that question, Eric, because I've prepared some research on your behalf. Sit back and get educated. <laughs> get to learn on, kids. Okay, so folks, I did a little bit of research. Um, I know a, a, a fair amount about Captain Marvel and Shazam. And and it's funny because you're going to hear me referring to Captain Marvel because that's that's just kind of my reflex at this point. Shazam is actually a byproduct of legal problems. Uh, And I want to take you guys through this because it's really a pretty interesting story. So, So the way I want to frame this is to say the story of Shazam slash Captain Marvel in the real world is almost a more interesting story than any of the stories that have ever been told on paper with the character Captain Marvel. And in fact, there was something that happened in the late 50s with this character that was so interesting that had things gone a different way it quite literally could have rewritten the landscape of how comic books and intellectual property in this industry is written. That's a massive buildup. Do I have your attention? Always. Fantastic. So let me take you through this. All right, so Captain Marvel was born in the Golden Age alongside Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, and all of the greats. At that time, though there were a a variety of different competing comic book companies. Obviously, you know, DC and Marvel were the shakeout that took place with all these companies 20 plus years afterwards. But in the early 40s, late 30s, I mean, there there were tons of these companies that were competing against each other. And they were cranking out this stuff like Pulp Fiction, basically, right? So there was this company called Fawcett Comics. And in... 1939, Captain Marvel was published for the first time, and the character was created by by Bill Parker and C.C. Beck. Uh, The only significant contribution that these guys ever made to the comic book industry was Captain Marvel. And the reason is because Parker was actually conscripted in a military service about six months after the character was originally invented. So Shazam actually, or Captain Marvel, again, started out as actually six different characters. And the idea behind this, and we'll get into this when we talk about the makeup of the character itself is that Shazam is, is an acronym. Um, S is the wisdom of Solomon. The H is the strength of Hercules. The A is the uh, stamina of Atlas. Z is the uh, power of Zeus. The second A is the courage of Achilles. And the, the M is the speed of Mercury. Now, Uh, Setting aside the fact that we went from biblical to Roman to Greek to Greek to Roman, uh, as far as like pulling together our God mythology, like that's where the acronym comes from, right? And so initially, it was all these different characters. It was six different people, each one of them embodying one of these components. And uh, the editor on the book was like, eh, this isn't really working. I see this as being one guy that has all of these things. And you know what we should do? We should call him Captain Thunder. And the reason that that's interesting, other than the fact that it's stupid, uh, is that um, at the time they were setting up, it's almost like, it's almost in our way of thinking like shell corporations that were producing these comic books. So like somebody would produce one comic book under a title called Flash Comic, right? And if something stuck from the book, maybe they would continue to produce stuff under that, that content, right? So this company, Fawcett, like had this just fucking bad luck run of coming up with stuff like, we're gonna do Flash Comic. Nah, no, you can't do that. DC's got this guy called Flash, right? And and kept going down the list, right? Of, of just these bad examples of where they were randomly pulling names out of the air And then like finding out six months later, there was a cease and desist because no, you can't use that name because there's a a fucking milk company or something that's using it. Right. And that's like exactly what ended up happening with this Captain Thunder thing is like there was a brand of coffee or a brand of cigarettes or something like that that said, you guys can't use Captain Thunder because we have it copyrighted. So eventually they kind of settled on Captain Marvel. Everybody looked around, nobody yelled at them and they were like, fuck it, let's go with Captain Marvel. So this all happened, this this five minutes of me rambling was was really about a two-year period because what ends up happening in the early part of the golden age, like 41, 42, is that Captain Marvel becomes the most popular comic book ever sold which should just like blow your doors off right because you're thinking batman wonder woman superman no this guy was kicking ass and taking names and killing the market so dc gets pissed about this and files lawsuit against Fawcett saying this character is clearly an infringement an infringement upon Superman. Now, the funny thing is by our modern standards, like you wouldn't even think of that. Like, are you fucking kidding me? He's like Greek mythology and whatever. And no, he's not a fucking super. But at the time there were so few characters that like the Power Man kind of character was seen as a unique artifact unto itself and that Superman was that thing, therefore, you know, you creating another power man is a an infringement, right? It was the 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 market was that small that that seemed like a viable lawsuit. So they they launched suit against Fawcett and this thing goes back and forth with lawyers until like 1948 and this thing finally goes to trial and this is where shit starts to get interesting, okay? So the judge says, yes, this character is an infringement upon Superman and you need to cease and desist. However, they also found that there were instances of where DC Comics had let their copyright lapse on Superman because the copyright symbol was not put on some of the daily comic strips. And because DC had let that Lapse, it negated their ability to go after Fawcett over Captain Marvel. Wow. Because in a sense, yeah, like really interesting shit, right? So this is getting decided in a courtroom in 1958. I mean, that's that's crazy, or I'm sorry, 48. I mean, that's amazing that this stuff was going on at that level, right? So, of course, you know, DC, you know, so essentially they 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 side with Fawcett, right? And DC says, well, fuck you guys, we're going to appeal this up to a higher court. So it gets appealed to a higher court. And in this higher court, um, the judge says, yes, Captain Marvel is an infringement upon Superman, but not in the way that you think. And this is the part where it gets really, really interesting, okay? They say this because, and I and I want to read this to make sure that I get this right, okay? The appellate court... Uh, retried, and the judge found that while the character wasn't an in infringement, the specific stories or super feats could be. As a result, the matter was sent back down to a lower court to decide. So think about that. I want to read this again. Right, the specific stories or super feats could be. Now, what that means is you've decided that symbolically, super cer- certain plot mechanisms, certain acts of heroism, lifting a car above your head, blah, 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 could potentially be considered an infringement. Now, if that's the case, then what the fuck does that do to the rest of the medium? Because all of this stuff is trope to begin with, right? Right. Even at that point. Now, this is the, you, uh, you barely miss the bullet part of this, okay? So this gets sent back down to a lower appellate court and at that point, Fawcett's like, we're fucking done, man. We're not, we're not doing this anymore. We'll cease and desist. We're done. Right. So the case never got decided. And the reason that's relevant is because it never created precedent for any other comic book companies to go after other comic book companies based on this premise of specific stories or super feats. So let's just sit back and think about that for a minute. Can you imagine what that the medium would have died? Well, yeah, we'd only be able to do one bullying scene. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you wouldn't have even gotten a Shazam trailer because Aquaman would have already gotten it. Or or shit, Spock got bullied. That's what that scene reminded
1: me of, by the way. I was like, this is just Spock.
0: But think about how amazingly irresponsible of a ruling that appellate judge put down. I mean, he, he fucking basically outlawed stories. And 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 it was only the fact that Fawcett didn't want to fight it that basically caused this whole thing to go away.
2: Well, that and there had to have been a decision on DC's part to say, uh, we don't really know that we want to uh, abuse what we just heard.
0: Uh, and, and you're absolutely right. Maybe DC was smart at that point to go, yeah, this is going to be bad for everybody. So. So that's kind of the most interesting aspect of the inception of the character. So then, basically, they closet this character, they shelve this character for almost fifteen years, um, and then, ironically, in nineteen seventy-two, DC comes knocking on Fawcett's door and says, "Hey, our, our characters are kind of played out. We want something new. What do you guys got?" And they basically end up licensing Captain Marvel from Fawcett after you know wiping their their asses and shoving it in their faces with this whole lawsuit. 15 years earlier, they asked to license the character, right? So the funny part is, so DC like puts out a book or two and whatever, and guess who comes knocking at the door? Marvel with a cease and desist because they're now producing a comic book called Captain Marvel. So DC decides, man, we ain't going to get into this bullshit with Marvel. We'll just go by Shazam instead. And that's when you had this pivot with the character's name from Captain Marvel to Shazam, right? So you fast forward a couple of years and he was present in a couple of books here and there. They couldn't really decide what they wanted to do with it until some genius came up with the Shazam Power Hour in 1978, where we were all watching uh, Shazam with the cartoons on Saturday morning. And of course, the live action version of Shazam that played from like 76 to 79, right? So this character, like, they didn't know what the fuck to do with it. And how in the world they decided to put a TV show into production is a whole different comic book or, you know, a different episode for us. Um, so the character doesn't really go anywhere. 85, 86, they do a reboot with this thing called Power of Shazam. Does okay. Integrated into these uh, Legends miniseries that they did along the way where they, they, they did some bigger universe stuff with them. But the character really kind of languished in obscurity. Until nineteen ninety six when Kingdom Come came out,
1: I was hoping you were gonna mention that because
0: that's the version of the character that I know exactly. So what they established in Kingdom Come, and it was probably the single smartest thing that anybody's done with this poor bastard in the seventy years that he's been around, is uh they established or or they really they 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 looked to law, if you will, and they 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 decided. That, you know, when you really think about it, this is the only guy in this whole universe that can actually keep Superman in check. And the reason is not because he's strong. It's not because he's fast. It's because Superman is just as susceptible to magic as everybody else in the world. And they use that to their advantage. And so ultimately, a corrupted version of Captain Marvel was the villain in, in, the, in the Kingdom Come books because he was the only one that could really keep Superman in check. And that started a whole new thread for him and a new relevance in the universe where they started to play him as, you know, this big dopey kid who was like was like a big dog running around your house that thinks it's a little dog and doesn't realize that, you know, all things considered, you're the only one here that can keep Big Blue in check if shit really hit the fan and but he's such a fanboy cuz he's still this little kid stuck inside this huge body that all of this doesn't occur to him. So it's an interesting thread. So w- with the movie what they're doing is they're they're stealing a little bit from the new 52 reboot that they took back in 2011. Um traditionally Billy Batson is an orphan who ended up working uh, as a reporter. Can you kind of see why DC was pissed off? <laughs> um, and in this incarnation, you know, he's, uh, he's a foster kid who lives in a larger family, which of course is what you saw in the trailer. Um, ultimately, in the DC 52 comic book line, uh, he has the ability to sort of share this power without diminishing the power. And he figures out that he can basically grant these other kids that live with him in this foster home, different permutations of his powers. And that's how the larger Marvel family kind of comes to be in the comic book. And make no mistake, if they see the success with Shazam, they're definitely going to go down this route where these foster kids are given different versions of his powers and become the Marvel family. Because the Marvel family was a big part of the early production of this comic book. Um, You know, you had Mary Marvel, you had Captain Marvel Jr. You had Uncle Dudley. I shit you not. You had Uncle Dougley and you had Tawny the Tiger. You could see why these people got in a lot of trouble for copyright infringement. Yeah. Did Kellogg's have a beef with that? <laughs> you would, you would think so, right? Right. So I mean, these guys, these guys just belong to like the shittiest fucking naming department on the planet, right? Just, just terrible decisions, right? But, but the thing for me is, like, I always liked this character, and I can't give you a great explanation why, but I just always liked the idea of Captain Marvel. And I and I saw the ability to differentiate him from Superman. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm hopeful that something comes out of this. I'm really hopeful that this turns out to be a good movie. I'm hopeful that Doug's right, that the version of this uh, character that you see in this silly outfit is a child's version of what a superhero looks like. And in fact... I'm going to end on this note because as I was saying that, I remembered something. There, there is this great line. And I swear to God, you guys, I'm not making this up. Like I actually just remembered this. There's a great line from a, um, from a Captain Marvel comic book where Marvel is talking to another superhero and I can't remember who it is. And, but somebody says to him, somebody once asked me why the costume. And I told them, the reason for the costume is to inspire the kids. Because if you can't give kids hope that there's a better world, then why are we doing this? And fucking Doug, I hope you're right, man. I hope that they tie that together. That would be genius. Like, I would would lose my mind if somebody reached back into the dialogue of that comic book and tied it together with the silly costume. So... That's that's my prayer for Shazam, if you will. I, I hope that it works out because it has such great potential and I love the character. But So so I kind of obviously monologue for a long time. Do you guys have questions about it or anything else? I will say that if any of our listeners have not read
1: Kingdom Come, Mark Wade does an excellent job. It might be my favorite DC book.
2: I would point out that I hope everyone was taking notes because uh, there will be an exam
0: at the end of the episode. I'd like to point out that I only had to research about 20% of that. That's why we love you, Carl. I can't go to college and take a class
1: in comic books, but I can talk to you, Carl, and that's just as good.
0: Yeah, that was an interesting one cuz like I said of, you know, there was tons of litigation that went on in the early years. And so, you know, the there's nothing special about that aspect of it, but when I started to research the 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 criminal or not the criminal case, but the copyright case, um the whole super feat and specific story thing was like was mind boggling to me because I thought, "Holy shit! How could a judge be so irresponsible as to place judgment in that manner?" Because you basically outlawed telling stories because every story is a copy of another story or one of seven. Yeah, so so that's where I'm at. You know, I hope Shazam turns out good. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed the background on the character Captain Marvel slash Shazam. Um, I really hope fucking the Marvel, Captain Marvel just takes a shit. I, I do. I I want to win for DC and I hope Shazam is the win uh, for DC and Captain Marvel takes a shit on, for
2: Marvel. I think if they can spin it right and get the word of mouth going early that that they have a chance. And this is not knowing anything about what the actual movie is going to be like, but uh, I, I'm like you. I I hope that this new direction is what uh, wins them some fans and respect back. Yeah, I do too. So what do you guys want to talk about now? You know, every morning when I wake up, I think to myself, gee, I hope there is a, a new uh, streaming service that I will have the privilege of paying for in addition to every other fucking streaming service that I'm paying for at this point. How is that transition? So you're going to make me monologue again? Is that what you're telling me? No, actually, I think this is, is something that... uh is going to get an equal amount of feedback from all of us. I mean, the last thing we fucking needed was yet another platform to pay for. But at this point with everything else that that's
1: going on, that's what DC is asking us to do, right? Yep. DC can't even make a movie properly. In my opinion. I mean, wonder woman was decent. I have some problems with the third act. You can't even get butts in the seats in the theater. Marvel isn't asking me to pay money every month to watch their output, their product. I I can see that anywhere. I guess the DC service is going to come with some comic books too, but Carl, I'm going to let you talk about that. There's no way in hell, based on what I've seen in the trailer, that I will spend a dime on the DC streaming service because I don't think it has anything for me. As a comic book fan, they don't have the Berlanti stuff. That's the best DC shit right now. And I'll have to ask you, Carl, how much of the animated shit are they going to have? But you know what? I have all four volumes of Batman, the animated series on DVD. I have all the Justice League Unlimited and Netflix has almost every DC animated movie. And if I can't get it there, I can get it on Hulu. If those things went away, what I consider going with the DC streaming service Maybe there's not enough content there, in my opinion, in general. I don't think Marvel could do it either. I I don't think there's enough there to warrant. What is it gonna have they announced the price point? $9.99 a month, I assume?
0: I think it's somewhere around there. I think it was like actually and I'm and I'm I may very well be wrong, but for some reason, $74.99 build twice a year is what I think it is, but I might be wrong about that. That's a lot. So you're talking 150. One, 150 a year. I don't pay that for PlayStation
1: or Xbox or Game Pass or Netflix. I guess once you put Netflix in there, I probably do. But my Xbox membership every year is 50 bucks and my PlayStation membership every year is 60 bucks. I get way more out of that. And then I think, Carl, you mentioned I'm not even getting new comics.
0: Right. Fuck that. Right. So So, so I'm going to, I'm going to go at this from two different directions. I'll do, I'll do the fan version and then I'll do the, um, I work in or used to work in media. So I have a kind of sense of how these platforms work and how distribution rights work and all the rest of that stuff. Um, yeah, spit roast that bitch. Yeah. So, so here's, here's where I'm at on this. Um, the first question you have to ask yourself is, is, is profitability, right? So they're producing very little new content, um, extremely small new content. You have, um, you have young justice outsiders, which is a cartoon. It's great. I, I liked young justice as a cartoon. I did too. We're talking about uh, a live action, a live action swamp thing with an, un, uh, a, an undisclosed release date. I think they're talking tonight, 2019. Um, Doom Patrol in 2019 which I'm just looking in your vacant eyes and neither one of you even fucking know what Doom Patrol probably is, right? Nope. Heard of it, but not familiar with it. Yeah, when when the when the A-listers are Beast Boy and Elongated Man, both of which you've already got pimped out to other properties because the, you know, the flagship on this is Titans. Elongated Man? Yeah, an elongated man is actually, you know, B bench on the Flash series right now. That's who Doug dreams he
1: is when he wakes up every morning. That's who Nikki dreams Doug is when he wakes (laughs) up every morning.
0: Let's not be comic nerds for a second. Let's just be business guys for a second, right? So the issue is 99% of what you're dealing with here is actually, you know, curated content that you already have. It's digital media by way of your your comic book stable it's you providing a streaming service for a bunch of your movie content that you already have so you know we're used to thinking about stuff like this in terms of you know billion dollar box office sales and we think of anything under you know three quarters of a billion as being a failure by a a studio standards but you know if something like this only does let's say 300 million a year that's actually pretty good because they, they they have no money invested in this other than the production on these shows. So let's run the list, right? Here's what you get in your old content. You get your Superman movies. You do not get Man of Steel. You do not get the Ralph, you know, Brandon Ralph Superman movie, which good. maybe they did that. Maybe they did that as a service. I don't know. It's <laughs> a selling point. Right. You get the Superman cartoon from the early 40s. You get all of the the WB stuff animated series, Superman animated series, Justice League, Justice League Unlimited. You get all the Keaton through Clooney Batmans. You get the Nolan Batmans. You get Wonder Woman, 44, 77. You get all the DC animated stuff. We covered that one. You get all eight episodes of Constantine. Woo! And uh, Supergirl, the movie. Now, to Eric's point, the problem that you have here is that all of your prime real estate is tied up in the Berlanti stuff that's on the CW. And, and, you know, we can't count out Fox. I mean, you remember you got Gotham on Fox and you got Lucifer on Fox. Lucifer's actually moving to Netflix, which I think is great. And didn't Gotham get canceled? No, Gotham's got one more year and they're going to wrap it up. And that's appropriate that they're going to wrap it up in a fifth year. I'm actually OK with so that. So they got canceled. Yeah, but, but it's, it's, it's right. The kid's 18. It's time for him to like wander off into the dark and become Batman. It's, it's appropriate that it's being stopped at that point. But Gotham got canceled. Why you got to be facetious? Anyways, so here, here's, here's the problem. The real problem you run into is all this premium property you can't do shit with and it's because you have all of these syndication deals that run through your traditional uh through your traditional television and cable heads, okay? So let me give you a good example of this. There's one series that they could have thrown that they didn't throw, right? They didn't throw Smallville. Now, I bring that one up for a, a for a very specific reason. Because you think to yourself, Jesus Christ, man, Smallville's been off since 2011. Why the fuck can't we at least get Smallville? And the answer is because Smallville you can still rent out as a third-rate whore on overnights on, on broadcasts and you know terrestrial television and get syndication deal out of this thing. So think about that. If you use Smallville as your benchmark, this show's been off the air for eight fucking years, pre-Netflix, pre-digital um, delivery service, so on and so forth. You're still whoring this bitch out and making money off of her? We can't even get that one on this digital streaming service, which tells you that all of the Berlanti stuff that's out there right now, will never see fucking light of day on this service. Cause, cause here's the thing. And again, kind of a larger discussion and tell me when you guys are done listening to me talk about this. But one of the things that was very interesting that happened in the mid two thousands with television is that you had the move towards so much reality TV content and reality TV Networks fucking love reality TV because it costs them nothing to make this stuff, right? And that's great for them. But the problem is there's no resellability on it. That's why you still see like, like Big Bang is still the most coveted thing in syndication to get because it's the fucking only thing out there, right? So you need five seasons to get enough content before you can be syndicated, Arrow, Flash, all that stuff is coming up on the Magic Five year mark and they're going to syndicate the shit out of this stuff.
1: Arrow and Flash have already
0: hit it. Yeah, so you, so that stuff is already on Netflix cuz Netflix only needs 3 seasons before they quote unquote syndicate, right? But but normal broadcasters expect at least 100 episodes before they'll syndicate stuff. So, your first run at these horrors at a top-level horror house is Netflix. Your second run is once you hit 500 episodes, and then you sell this motherfucker to everybody that's out there for daytime programming, right? And then your third run is like overnight terrestrial broadcast stuff, where you're really hitting the bottom of the barrel, like where somebody like Smallville would be right now, where you're doing like antenna TV and that kind of shit, right? But, but like I said, even Smallville, you haven't—that's not available. Which means somebody in traditional syndication is still making money off this.
1: Smallville is on Hulu.
0: Yeah because they 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 found a distribution and they're making money off of it. So so the idea that you are creating this superhero nexus of content for DC, where you're going to be able to see all this incredible DC content over the last 20 years is fucking bullshit. They're not going to do it because they're going to make so much money in their traditional distribution mediums that it won't. And those people are going to be like, fuck you guys. You can't run this on your platform, your streaming platform. It's not going to fucking happen. We will not take it in syndication if you guys do that because it's not worth shit to us because the people that are going to watch it are the people that would be watching your distribution platform. So you're going to start seeing this massive war of platform over distributed content. And this is a great example because with such a a drought of syndicated content out there in the world, this Berlani shit is like, I mean, people are chomping at the bit to get this, to move it to TNT, to TBS and all these other places. And there is no fucking way DC is going to give up the golden goat and not distribute all this shit for um, for syndication. It's just not going to happen, which means your service, and this is where I'll end my, my rant, your service 10 years from now, think about that, your service 10 years from now may still not have Arrow, Flash, Supergirl, all the rest of that shit that's playing now because that's how long those fucking syndication deals go. Who the fuck is going to pay for this service? You guys are
1: two of the biggest DC fanboys I know. Are you guys going to buy this?
0: Absolutely not.
1: That's all you needed to say at the board meeting then. If you two aren't going to spend money on this, what the fuck? Doug might be saying yes here. There's a
2: possibility that I might. And I'm not sure where to start with this one because Carl talked about a lot of different aspects from this. I mean, there's the business model and then there's the reality of uh, a content distribution. I have never worked in broadcast, so I don't know exactly how long these deals that they cut for syndication last, but I, I
0: just have to assume that they're not in perpetuity. But they last as long as you're still making money off of them. It's that simple.
2: Right. But making money through syndication may not necessarily measure up to making money through a direct subscription model. And I think that's where DC is going to dip its toe in the pool and find out exactly how attractive they can make a service like this. You glossed over the animation studios is just kind of like a passing point. If I sign up for a DC streaming service, that would be the reason why, because right
0: now they churn out, what, three or four good properties every year. Okay, great. Great. But let me ask you a question. What makes you think that out of the shoots, they're going to distribute that content to that service? Oh, I'm sorry.
2: I thought you included that in the list of stuff that was planned for launch. No,
0: no, 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 no. The back library that they have will be there. But you think like, you know, got them by Gaslight or whatever that came out a couple months ago, you think they're going to put that up in the first year? Fuck no. Because it goes from sale to rental to um uh, it goes to a net Netflix distribution platform before that thing is played out to where they'll do anything with it. So that's what DC is going to do. That's what it does today
2: because that's where DC makes money. If DC has a built-in user base with a streaming service that that they're establishing over time, you know, fast forward three or four years, they they drop a new property if they know that they. Like Netflix does with original content in particular, like announce a certain title, it, you see a spike in subscribership after one property every time, and, and you get to know every time we do something that's in in this realm or this genre or whatnot, then we can count on another you know X number of subscribers signing up. Now, granted, it's going to take a while for that service to become sticky, but there absolutely could be like a a point of critical mass where it makes more sense to use it to drive subscribership on their streaming service than just sell it away to the highest bidder, like they're doing right
0: now. You make uh, a valid argument from the perspective of somebody that understands like digital content and that kind of thing. Yeah, I've
2: got one more that's way more important. You guys understand that the DC has to do this just like pretty much any content producer has to do this. And the reason is, is because of assholes that instead of going out and buying the, the $20 DVD when Hush drops
1: pretty soon here, they go out and they download it off the internet and they don't pay a fucking dime for it. What stops you from doing that once their network comes out? Nothing. You know, I used to think that was true.
2: Younger Doug, Uh, Would have agreed with you. But 42 year old Doug with a little more cash in his pockets and a little more, I guess, uh, appreciation of uh, like the hard work, sweat and tears and dollars that goes into producing this content. I'd happily give DC 10 bucks a month so that every time a a new property drops, I, I got to see it on their platform. Again, if you look at the, the piracy side of it and you look at the fact that really the model that we're heading towards is a collection of lots of different content providers that provide you just their realm or, or niche of content for uh, X number of dollars a month. I promise you guys in, in five years, you're going to be signed up for a, a dozen plus streaming services that cater to your particular tastes.
1: Here's the key: DC streaming service should get the Karate Kid. It's their property anyway. Give me Cobra Kai, and done. I will. I will spend money on their service.
0: Well, I, I'll say. I'll say this: what What DC really needs to do, because I don't see, I don't see the film media as being the gotcha in all this. Believe it or not, I see, or or the television media, because because again, like not not to sound like a condescending asshole about the whole thing, but like when you start dealing in like the distribution on, on the syndication stuff, like a streaming service outside of Netflix or Amazon, they can't compete financially with the amount of money that's brought in by way of syndicating content uh, across traditional terrestrial platform. They just, they can't.
2: Under the current business model. Yes. But imagine that DC had had the foresight to launch a streaming service a decade ago. Where might we be now? And and would you be singing singing the same tune? And and Carl, I appreciate your perspective, and it's probably right on the money. But the truth of the matter is, is that you're talking about a dying business model.
0: It's a dying business model, but at the same time, people don't think about how deep the the budgets go in order to create new content, like for television, for instance. That you know, you think about something like like Big Bang and syndication right now, you know, Big Bang and syndication is paying for television shows that you haven't even watched yet because of the amount of money that it's bringing into the studio that they're putting in their war chest to be able to figure out what the next move is and everything else. And that's that's the part of it that's that, that's different than most people, like I said, that don't, that aren't in that area. Like that's, you think, well, we'll get a million people and they'll pay $20 a month. I'm like, dude, $20 million is like the, like half of what they paid for the distribution and syndication rights on the show. Let alone what they get when they like ship it out to each of the different markets and what each respective market makes for it. I mean, the dollars and cents for streaming service versus trying to uh, pimp these products in a traditional model. Like the math doesn't even line up. And and here's the thing, right? At the end of the day, like we're not. We're all, all the point that I'm just trying to make is that. Um, all of this content, because you're right, Doug, had they done this 10 years ago, maybe it would have been different, but it doesn't change the fact that right now, the golden goose is all this content going into a traditional syndication model, which means it's never going to see fucking light a day on this service.
2: I disagree. And and it's for the point that you just made. The golden goose is the content. The The best content is not coming out of network television these days, and it is quickly trending away from those networks being able to turn out good shit. And that's just reality.
1: And you keep mentioning Big Bang, Carl, Big Bang, Big Bang. The reason you do that is that's the only fucking network show left besides NCIS, Miami, fucking Amsterdam, whatever they want to do now. There, there really is. I mean, back in the day, back 10 years ago, you could have told me 10 network shows that are amazing.
0: Big Bang is it, correct? Right, right, but that's actually my point, though, is that they're the the syndicators are chopping at the bit, waiting for this Berlanti stuff to hit five seasons. The reason I keep saying Big Bang is because there's nothing. That's the point I made about you know all the reality TV show shit that's out there, because reality TV has no rewatchability, so they don't get syndication for Bachelor and all the rest of that shit. It's only traditional. TV model stuff like Big Bang or you know NCIS or whatever, right? So that's the whole point to this discussion, from my perspective, is they are they can't fucking wait for all this the superhero shit to hit five seasons so they can start syndicating it because it's going to be worth so much because there's nothing else out there. Isn't Flash and Arrow aren't they already syndicated? Um, yeah, f- no, I don't. I think this is season five for Flash, and I think this is season six for Arrow. So I think Arrow it's seven is for Arrow, yeah. okay. So Arrow right now can be syndicated, and I think it is syndicated already. But I'd have to look that up to see.
2: But if you had to launch those properties on your own network from the get go, then you never have to worry about syndication. You worry about using good content to demand dollars and that is the business model going forward and it's what will ruin the, the big three four networks I, I promise you and if you have to look any further than netflix prime and, and hulu then and even fucking youtube eric to your point about cobra kai everyone's getting into the content game and they're using it to drive subscriber growth for their own
0: platforms So I I mean I think we can keep going on this one. I I think it's a very interesting topic. And and I what I would really like to do is like like let's let's put a bookmark on this one because I think we should come back and revisit this topic, you know, 10, 10, months from now, a year from now, and let's see where DC has ended up on all this stuff. Let's see if they've started to like strong arm some of their syndicated stuff over. Um, because, cause you're right. I mean, what, this is kind of a grudge match now between you and I, is it traditional content model? Like what I'm accustomed to through television or, you know, is it an innovative stream model and, and let's see what they do. Maybe DC can pull this off in some way, you know? So one thing I do want to mention on this service, cause we got, we got so into models so fast is the one thing that I'm really looking forward to. If there's one thing that might put me on the fence to consider the service We're going to do a a live action Harley Quinn, and it's going to be from the people that did Powerless on NBC. And I fucking loved the five episodes of Powerless that we got. I thought it was hilarious.
1: If they don't cast Anna Faris as Harley Quinn, opportunities completely squandered.
0: I could not agree with you more.
1: Absolutely. I love Margot Robbie, but when she got cast, I was so sad for Anna Faris because I think she could play that role better than anyone. Maybe Tara Strong, too, because yeah. she has already played it. Tara's a little older. Well, I guess her and Anna are probably about the same age. Yeah, they're both aging out. Anna Faris is the perfect Harley Quinn.
0: If you put a baseball bat in the house bunny's hands, you've got fucking Harley Quinn. I'm
1: glad you mentioned The House Bunny, because I think I'm the only one besides you that likes that movie. So
2: <laughs> I love that movie. That was the movie that made me s- stop hating Anna Faris. <laughs> Why did you hate her in the first
1: place? I don't know. Why do I hate all of the people that I do? You hate a lot of really cool people, but I, I love Anna Faris. I think she's a perfect Harley. When is that sh- show coming out? I haven't even heard of that.
0: I don't know that we have a firm date for it yet, but 26 half-hour episodes from the team that did Powerless, so... I, I, yeah, I love House Buddy. the uh, um, That's how I say people's names so I can remember them.
2: Doug Lund. I'm going to stop beating the dead horse, too, but look how excited you guys got about that. That's original content. That's only going to be on the streaming service. It will
1: never be syndicated on network television. I promise you. You're right. To be fair, I got excited because Anna Faris might be in it. Yeah. If they cast somebody else... Eh. All they need is uh, the animation studios to keep what they're
2: doing and then start reclaiming some of the old properties as those contracts with the networks expire and uh, then keep building their new content on their own platform. That That's all they need to do. It's an uphill battle. But I agree. And if you think Marvel and parts of Disney and uh, the other studios aren't thinking about doing the very same thing.
1: Disney's already going to do it.
0: Yeah. So let's say one more thing here, and then I'm, I'm sure you guys want to talk about some other stuff. The 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 thing that I think they're missing the mark on, because all this stuff about TV and distribution and stuff, like I think it's an interesting topic and and whatever. But at the end of the day, my opinion is the real golden goose. If you can't get a hold of all this Berlanti property stuff, is your comic library, and that's I think where they're fucking up the worst. Is that I think they should be offering like silver, gold, platinum level uh content to where you can just go through literally the entire digitally scanned library of all the DC comic stuff. And what here's what I would pay for. You know, we we're talking about this whole thing. Would I pay $10 for the service as it stands? No. Would I pay 25 to have access to the entire DC library of comic books including the new stuff that's dropping on a monthly basis? You betcha. Totally. Would totally pay for that.
1: That's completely where they're missing the mark.
0: That's where they're missing the mark. Now, now today, yeah. Now, what I think they're going to do is that they're, you know, the the I actually actually pulled this out so I could uh, so I could read it. What they're saying is the service will also offer digital comic book reader, offering what's described as a curated selection of thousands of DC comics from the company's biggest publishing history, blah, 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 from the appearance of Superman in 1938 through blah, 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 blah. Basically what they're saying is we're going to selectively put content up, which is probably like programmatic delivery. That's going to drive you like promotional content towards new shit they've got going on that they're trying to, you know, like, Oh, we're rebooting swamp man. So swamp man's available to you now, you know, which is fine, whatever. But that basically means they're using their service as a, as as a as a promotional vehicle to get you to go buy their new shit, I'm like, eh, not really uh, in, in favor of that. But if they opened up a larger swath of the content, um, I think that would be worth it. But I just don't see him doing that.
1: DC has a Swamp Man and a Swamp Thing. Do they have a Captain Swamp?
0: <laughs> swamp crotch, something like that. <laughs> I thought we were going to talk about Batgirl. <laughs> <laughs>
2: So for real though, we're at an hour 20. I don't know that I would feel that this episode was complete if we did not talk about Godzilla because I know neither one of you are are hyped for this, but in the Lund household, that shit was the highlight of Comic-Con week for us was that amazing fucking
0: Godzilla trailer. So, I mean, there's a good setup there, man. Let's talk about why this one was important to you and why it's such a big deal in your house we know that they are going from the,
2: the whole cinematic universe approach with this, right? We got, uh, the Godzilla movie a couple of years ago with Brian Cranston. And then we got Kong skull Island with, a, I don't know a bunch of people who, who the fuck was in that? I don't know. Wait, was Jack black in that oh one? Oh my God. I think he might've been <laughs> now. That was the last Kong. It was an odd collection of, of characters in this last one. Like I think, John C. Riley, yeah, John C. Riley was your your comedic relief, and we know that we're getting the big monsters this year, right? Have you guys seen the trailer? Yes. So, in addition to Godzilla, uh, we saw Mothra, we saw King Ghidorah. I thought the production value on this, and I have a soft spot for Millie Bobby Brown. I'm really looking forward to seeing her in some new property. It's your prerogative. <laughs> God damn it, Carl. <laughs> We don't have to spend a lot of time on this topic, but the big setup after we get Godzilla in 2019, the next Godzilla movie is uh, a Godzilla versus King Kong in 2020.
0: And that one's like already in pre-production. All right. So let's do the math on this. Godzilla is what? Like 120 stories tall, somewhere on the neck of the woods. 120 stories. I don't know. He's a big lizard in my backyard. And Kong is like maybe five stories tall. Doesn't seem like much of a match. You know, I, I have a feeling they're gonna they're gonna figure out a,
2: a way to to make that work, though.
0: Okay, so let me give you my beef on Kong, and then I want you to ex- or excuse me on Godzilla, and then I want you to give me your explanation for why this is such a, cause I know this is a special thing at your house. Like I've seen your kids go bananas over Godzilla, but the beef that I've always had with science fiction is I don't mind you asking me to buy extraordinary circumstances to tell a story, but I do buy you asking me to swallow something like ridiculous in order for you to tell me the story. Right? So for instance, like when you look at the size of Godzilla, and you look at the size of all these other monkey rats that are running around with Godzilla in this movie, like the earth itself could not sustain a food source for these things. That's my beef is like, they make them so big so that they're like, they're Titans for all intents and purposes. Right. And then your, you know, your, your, your tanks and all your bullshit can, can't do anything against them. And I get that, right. Because you're making a monster disaster movie, but it's not believable that the planet could even sustain critters this big.
2: Oh you're you're so much
0: fun Carl. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry but but I mean that's always been my beef with monster movies. Like I if you if they get so big that like the planet can't sustain the monster like that's too big and and it's it's a hard story to tell at that point. And I'm not being mean necessarily to Godzilla. I'm saying like this is a a chief component of making monster movies that one must use judiciously. So what do you think about that? Like, do you, do you see them as being able to pull this off and sell these monsters this big and, and telling a story in that way? I, th- I think they already have. Have you seen the last Godzilla movie? I did. And you hated it. I did not like it. I just I don't understand monster movies. Eric, when it comes to monster movies, do you like the big monster movies or do you prefer small stuff like traditional horror genre?
1: I like both. What I prefer is traditional horror. I don't like Godzilla as much as like Doug's son, Connor.
2: No one does.
1: (laughs) But I do think there's a place for the films. I mean, am I a a Godzilla fanboy? Absolutely not. I know almost nothing about it, but I grew up kind of watching the movies on Saturday morning when there was nothing else on. That's where I I know them from. And then there was a really good video game on the NES where you could battle the monsters together. That's how I know Mothra and Ultraman. And I think we're going to get appearances, a lot of those characters, in this film, correct? It's Godzilla, what is it, Battle of the Monsters? King of the Monsters? King of the Monsters. There's going to be more monsters, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Since you were
2: having technical difficulties, I'll bring you up to speed. That was kind of my excitement level is that we're, we're getting all of these characters, which have never appeared in the American versions of Godzilla before. And then Carl countered with the point that it's impossible to enjoy these movies because there's not enough food for those big guys.
1: Okay. Do they eat a lot of people or...
0: No, no, no. So, so my beef was, I enjoy science fiction so long as you don't ask me to ignore components of reality that are not that you can't ignore. Like, you know, if you if you have you know ten critters that are fucking four hundred feet tall, there's not enough food on the planet to sustain them, right? So, like, I don't. You you make these things bigger and bigger and bigger for spectacular storytelling, but it's not practical because that thing can't be like it just can't. And so I don't. I don't I don't like bigger is better because I don't think it's better. I want some practical storytelling component to all of it.
2: Have you ever watched a Godzilla movie from start to finish? No.
1: I, I thought that was gonna be your answer because I don't think it's about the, the food chain at all.
0: Wait, I saw the one with Ferris Bueller. It wasn't it was okay. So you saw the worst
1: Godzilla movie. Yeah. You saw the GoBots Godzilla movie.
0: Yeah, that's true. Cop tour.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The newest Godzilla with Brian Cranston, I thought was pretty good.
2: It was great for the reason that all Godzilla movies are, are great is that you have this thing that is physically impossible and it, it, the mythos that it's born from, because they actually do refer to them as, as Titans in this, this latest reboot of of the series and that it's earth's mechanism of, of regulating threats to the planet itself.
0: I did find that to be a good addition into the mythology when they added that part into it, that maybe they're making my point for me that this is the earth dealing with its bullshit so it can start over again. And if that's the case, then what I said is my criticism actually feeds the logic of of the film itself.
2: I think on top of that, my favorite thing about Godzilla has always been, is he the good guy? Is he the bad guy? you don't really fucking know. And that gray area that they leave you in is usually populated by, uh, you know, all of the little humans that are running around his feet. Like they give the meaning to his actions and the commentary that you end up getting on society and really important political issues, because obviously like nuclear uh, was the big uh, hot button for a long time. And if you think about where the movies were coming from, They kind of knew a thing or two about exactly how bad nuclear technology could fuck up the planet. Sure. It's fascinating. Even looking back at like those much older Toho movies, you can look at those and say, wow, we can learn so much about how the world was at this point from these movies, maybe just as much as we can, uh, you know, the the most popular uh, uh, dramas and, and comedies that were in the theaters at the time that were being a lot more overt about that.
0: Right. And I and I think you're right. I mean, I think the most relevant part of Godzilla is looking at as a cultural artifact of the time period that those first movies were created in Japan in the nineteen forties, that, you know, this is the only country that's actually survived a nuclear blast. And like how does that change the your your worldview? Like how does that does that change the way your society sees war and sees its relationship with science and nature and all the rest of those things? So, you know, Godzilla as a cultural artifact is way more interesting to me than Godzilla as a leading man.
1: Did either one of you guys see Colossal?
0: Yeah, I thought Colossal was fantastic. I, I really enjoyed Colossal. Oh, we talked about this on BitFace. I still haven't seen that. It's, it's a great movie. I mean, you know... Colossal is 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 the Godzilla movie for me. That's a great way to put it. Like I I loved the fact that there was no rational explanation for all of it except that it was this bizarre fantasy artifact of 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 this domestic abuse squabble. You know, I thought it was really interesting.
1: I'm glad you've seen it because that would be the Godzilla movie I would tell you to watch, Carl.
0: Yeah, exactly. And and you're absolutely right. That that Godzilla as as a literal metaphor literally a metaphor, <laughs> was great. You know, I just don't like the tearing down buildings version of Godzilla. I think you need to watch some more Godzilla movies. Then. Oh no, they say he's got to go, 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 Godzilla. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, less Blue Oyster Cult and more Godzilla movies. In fact, I'm going to get Connor to give me his top five and I'm going to go back and watch a couple of them because Connor knows this shit better than all of us do.
2: There's so much enjoyable content there. It, it, it has been a staple in our household for 20 years. I know I'm biased. And uh, I also know that as a character in particular, that he is indispensable to pop culture now. He was there before the superhero phase. And I promise you, he will be there afterward.
0: Godzilla. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note. I, I want to say one thing, and then I'll keep this really brief and then we're out. Right. So... For as much as we've been critical of these properties, and you guys have heard me go sour tonight in a way that you've never heard me go sour in one of these broadcasts, um, I'm still really optimistic. I'm really hopeful. I want Aquaman to be good. I do. I want Shazam to be good. I think Shazam is our best bet of the two to end up being a surprise. And and you know, I'm really fascinated with this this conversation we had about digital rights and, so, and subscription services and all the rest of the stuff. And I really want to come back and revisit this topic in, in 12 months and see where they're at with this service. Um, these conversations we have about all this stuff, and especially when we tend to go negative, they're not about us no longer loving this stuff. It's about us demanding something better from the people that are curators and creators of this content. So when we're shitty, it's not that we're shitty because we don't like it. We're shitty because we basically have master's degrees in these subject areas and we have the right to critique what is being produced uh, for our content. So if you're at DC and you hear this, we're not just a bunch of dicks. We kind of know what we're talking about And, and listen to this stuff as constructive criticism because we love what you do. We just think you can do it better.
1: No better way to end than that. I will tell anyone that's listening. If you're a brewery and you want to come in and talk to us and tap in, geek out, we would love to have you. In fact, our brewery episodes are some of our favorite. I would like to thank our guest tonight. We call him a guest, but he's really more like family. Carl and Dean, my favorite person to talk about comic books with. Let's just put it that way. There's no one on the planet that can really just get me into the conversation as a passive observer of how much he knows. And I just soak it all in like a sponge. In fact, when I have comic book questions, I don't even go to any of my other friends anymore. I go to my new friend, Carl. So thank you, Carl, for joining us tonight on Tapping Geek Out. Again, follow us on Facebook, on Twitter. If you brew beer, we'd love to talk to you on the podcast. Also, you guys go on Amazon, check out Doug's new book, My Mouth is a Cox Bottle Opener. It's available for sale right now. I am Eric G. Hollis, and we are out.